Good morning, church. Good morning. Let's gather in your seats, please. We are getting ready to have our scripture reading for this morning. If you don't know my name, my name is Crystal. Uh, this is my first time doing this. A little nervous. So scripture is coming from Numbers 14, 20 to 38. The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. Yet as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness have tested me, and these ten times did not obey me, will ever see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the lowlands, turn back tomorrow and head for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites' complaints that, are, that, make, that, are, that they make against me. Tell them, as I live, this is the Lord's declaration. I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. All of you who are registered in the census, the entire number of you, 21 years old or more, because you have complained about me. I swear that none of you will enter into the land of promise to settle you in, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. I will bring your children, whom you said would become plunder into the land you rejected, and they will enjoy it. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness until all your corpses lie scattered in the wilderness. You will bear the consequences of your iniquities for 40 years based on the number of the 40 days that you have scouted the land, a year for each day. You will know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community that has conspired against me. They will come to the end of the wilderness and they will die. So then Moses sent out to scout the land, out the land, and and who returned and incited the entire community to complain about him by spreading a negative report about the land. Those men who spread the negative report about the land were struck down by the Lord. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, remained alive of those who went to scout the land. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. I bet y'all wonder, how are you going to preach that? <laughs> I will tell you, the Old Testament is a little bit harder to preach than the New, okay? But it's all God's Word. It's all God's Word. So I'm starting a question. Have you met people before who seem to think that, they are, that there are no consequences to their negative actions? Everybody's like, mm-hmm. Are they, are, they, are they really enjoyable people to be around? No. No, they're not. They're not. You know, people don't seem to understand that their negative actions have consequences. They tend on continuing to do the negative actions, to behave in crazy. We need to understand that showing grace and forgiveness is not the same 
as removing all consequences. Say it again. We need to understand that showing grace and forgiveness is not the same as removing all consequences. There, there actually is a grace in letting people feel the consequences of their actions. Yeah? You ever seen like one of them shows and the kids behaving bad and like, send them to boot camp? This is awkward, right? But the point is they need, they, they need to feel the consequences so that their character is changed. So what we can learn from this text and what the main point is, is God forgives our sin, yet still allows the consequences of sin to warn us and to purify us. Let's pray. Father, would you please speak to your people through your word? Lord, these are your wor- this is your word. This is your people. Lord, we're, we're asking that you can do what only you can do, that you can open up our hearts, that we can understand what you are saying, that we will be transformed by your word, and that you would work obedience in our hearts. Help us to see who, who you are clearly. Your word says that as we behold you, we are transformed more and more to look like you. So, Lord, accomplish that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So, context is? King. Context is king. All right. So, in the Old Testament, I always got to give context because if you just jump in there, you're like, what? Right? So, in verse 20, God says to Moses, I have pardoned them as you requested, which leads to the question, what did they do? All right, what did they do? Now, it's just a little bit of a story, but I want to paint the picture. So God saves his people from Egypt, and he says, I'm going to take you to this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to give it to you. So people get to the outskirts of this promised land, which God had commanded them to take from the residents that were there due to their accumulated generational sin. That's another sermon. Just sorry. All right. So he sends some scouts out there. He sends 12 scouts to go look at the land, see what it's like. Numbers 13 to it says, send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their tribes. Now, they go, they, they look around for 40 days, and, and they come back, and they give a very, very discouraging word, okay? So, so, so Numbers 13, 31, it says, but the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that was scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who saw it, are, excuse, all the people who are in it, are men of great size. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. God had just delivered them from the major superpower of the world at the time. Egypt is the major, it's, it's, it's the America of, of, that, of the world. Like, the major superpower God had just delivered them from. They go to the land, and they're like, I don't know if we can do this, though. Now listen, Israel complains and wants to return to Egypt. I, I had a, this, this is four verses, and it's just imagine being here, okay? Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's go back and be slaves. I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow the Lord. Let's go back to where it's comfortable. It's not, it's not awesome, but at least it's comfortable. I know, I know what's going on there. Now, if you're reading through the Old Testament, reading through this passage uh, and, and the, the, the chapters beforehand, you will see that over and over and over and over again, Israel is constantly challenging God over and over again. So God, God's like, man, this is getting on my nerves. Okay. At Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I performed for them. Now Moses is a, is a good leader, and he prays for these people. He's like, I realize they're wrong, but I'm, I'm praying for them. Would you please forgive them? And God shows them grace again. He shows them grace over and over and over again. It's the craziest thing. They saw God's deliverance again and again. They accused God of neglecting them again and again. This is the God who delivered them from this major superpower. And then when they're in the wilderness, they're like, we don't have any food. And he starts raining down food from heaven. This is the God who has over and abundantly supplied every single thing they need. And they are constantly going, I don't trust you, though. I'm not sure about you. Now, we might look at them and think, well, they, they kind of got issues, right? But listen, have you ever been stuck in a sin over and over? Have you ever kept doing the same thing that you knew was wrong? Have, have you ever felt like you're stuck in the net of sin and you just can't seem to, to break out? Listen, listen, listen. You feel bad about it, but you still keep going back and back and back. I don't know about you, but I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. And the testimony of the scriptures is that we have a God who forgives over and over and over again. Even people who are straight up insulting him, questioning his love and character, he still is showing forgiveness. This is why that when we confess our sins corporately as a church, it is so important that we hear the pardon. It is so important that we hear that God forgives us. I want to make that clear because I never want it to be twisted. I never want you to think, well, I've messed up so much this time that he won't. No. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I hope that the, the promise of assurance is, is how you respond when people confess their sins to you. Sometimes when someone tells you a mistake they made, you immediately go into, well, you should have, right? Right? But I, I hope that you, you know that before you start addressing actions, which it is important to do, but before you start addressing all that, that, that you would assure them of the promise of the gospel, that though you have sinned, there is grace in Christ Jesus. Listen, I, I, I remember there was this, this, this one time I was in a, in, in a meeting with a group of men, and, and there was this one guy, he was really struggling to get, to get his sin off his mouth. You know, he, he was struggling with shame, and he didn't want to quite tell us, but, but, but eventually it came out. 
And there was silence for a moment. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you could do that. You know, I'm just being honest. You know, like, you could do it. But I thought, no, what, what would the Scripture say? What would, what would Christ say to this man? And I looked him in the eye, and I said, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. If you could just imagine that the pressure of, of guilt and shame was weighing on him like a heavy rock, and with that assurance of pardon, it just fell off. You could see him take a deep breath again. Beloved, that's how I want you to respond when we confess our sins to one another. We need to be honest. We need to confess sin because it says there is healing in that. But it is so important how you respond. It's not, I can't believe you. No, no. It's no. We serve a God who is abundant in faithful love and forgiving. There's a huge relief in that, is there not? Now, here we get into the nitty-gritty of the text. He did forgive them, right? But yet, he allows the consequences for their sin to remain. In verse 21, it says, Yet as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me, they will never see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have despised me We'll see it. Ten times they had a failure to see God's provision and consistently tested him. I kind of wanted to say, well, what else did they need to see, right? I mean, it'd be dope to see food coming down from him. Like, I'm hungry. Here it is. <laughs> like, like what, 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 else, what else could he have done? What, what other proof did they need? His provision was there over and over again. What else did they want from him? Here's what I want you to understand. God sees their complaining as a rejection of his faithfulness. And verse 26 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I endure this evil community, get this, that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites' complaint that they have made against me. Listen, grumbling, that's what they're doing, grumbling reveals the heart's attitude about God. A lot of times we think that being frustrated and grumbling reveals the heart's attitude about the situation, and that's true. But ultimately, it is revealing what we feel about God. It's like saying, the hand that you dealt me is unfair. Therefore, you are unfair. You have not done well by me. You have not shown faithfulness to me. When we grumble about our situation, it is directed to the Lord. We don't often see that there is grace in the cloudy, rainy days, yeah? We don't see that, that even in the dark times, he still is showing his mercy. When we grumble, it reveals a lack of contentment. One of my favorite verses is from Psalm 16. He says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. In other words, he's saying, what you've given me is good. I need to remind myself of that sometimes because I always think about what he didn't give, right? What did he not give? But if I, if I step back and go, but what, what actually has he given? And I'm like, oh, that's, that's actually quite pleasant. <laughs> 
And, and it's, it's, it's good. This is a warning to be careful of grumbling. Now, I need to say this. There is a difference between grumbling and lament. Grumbling is just, just this complaining about the situation, complaining against God. Well, lament is pouring out our negative emotions and seeking help from God. So, so, so in saying that we need to be careful of grumbling, it's not saying that we got to lie when we pray. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that we can never have a frustrating day. But it's like, what do we do with that frustration? Do we bring it to the Lord? Do we say, listen, look at, look at how I feel, Lord. Can't you help me? Or do we go, forget you. I'm really frustrated. You, you, you see the difference? There is a difference there. And listen, listen, I know some people who are optimists. I am not one of them, okay? So, so I am prone to being a pest. I am prone to grumbling, okay? I'm just going to keep it 100. I like optimistic people. I like when they, they're near me because I need somebody to, to, to make me feel all right. But I, even, even yesterday, there was a situation, and, and I was just in my heart. I was just like, man, this is not going to work. It's not going to go right. I don't know. You know, I, just, I was just, just, rum, just rummaging over something in my heart. And the Lord's like, why don't you just come, come to me? <laughs> and, and, and I spent some time with him. And he gave me some perspective that when I pour out my heart to him, that when I lament to him, that when I confess my doubts and my insecurities and my frustrations to him, he comes with his grace and gives me a gospel perspective. So to my pessimists, let's carry our frustrations to the Lord. Let's, let's carry our doubts to the Lord and trust that he will take care of us. Now, here's the craziest thing. The consequences for the people's sin don't only affect them. In verse 33, it says, Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness. That, like their actions didn't just affect them. So sin is not just about you and God. Sin directly affects others around you. You know, when I was young, I, I was something of a class clown, okay? <laughs> That's what happens when your mom and your congregation. Anyway, I was a bit of a class clown, right? So I was, I was disruptive in class. Now, now that I teach stuff sometimes, it's really frustrating to have people who disrupt, right? Yeah, you're like, be quiet, I'm talking. Uh, not, not only that, not only that, I, I, I made it harder for the other people in my class to learn as well. My, my actions didn't just affect me. It negatively affected my teacher. It negatively affected the students around me. Listen, sin has effects. And here's the craziest thing. Sin not only has these direct effects, sin does something. It's kind of like pollution. It does something negative to the environment. Have you ever been in a room of a nasty argument? They're not arguing with you. You're just witnessing it, right? You've been there, and you're like, mm, right? And you walk away, and you feel in some kind of way. You weren't even in an argument, but you feeling bad. <laughs> Sin has this, this, this way of not only directly affecting, but of indirectly affecting. That, that is the reality of sin. That's the, 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 the nature of it, that it infects everything. And here's what I want you to understand, that God sees this community that is infected with sin, infected with grumbling, 
and he decides to purify it and to purge it. Verse 29 says, Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, all of you who are registered in the census, the entire number of 20 years old or more, because you have complained about me. Now here's the deal. They consistently, over and over and over and over again, are grumbling against the Lord. And the Lord, this is going to sound kind of crazy, y'all. The Lord shows grace to their children and says, I'm not going to send you into that land with this grumbling. I'm going to address it. We're going to, we're going to address this sin. Listen, sometimes God removes friendships and relationships for our good. So let me, let me, let me take that, that away from you. Listen, the church cares about church discipline for the health of the whole church. Church discipline is the process of correcting sin in the life of the congregation and its members. So let me be very careful. Everybody sins, yes? Okay. But there is certainly a difference between sinning and repentance and sinning and a lack of remorse. So if you are part of this church and you are sinning in a way that lacks remorse, the elders are going to come talk to you. We're going to say, listen, for your good, for the good of those around you, you need to flee from that sin. Because here's the deal. You think, well, how, does it have anything to do with anybody else? Unaddressed sin in the church affects the atmosphere of the church, right? Does it have to directly affect you to, to, to affect you? We've already established that it does not, right? So, so, so if we have a church full of hypocrites because nobody ever addresses anything, is that going to affect the church? Yeah, that's going to harm the testimony of the church. In, in, our, in our covenant, in our, in our partnership, our membership covenant, we, it says when our lives stray from the truth or if we practice unrepentant sin, we will offer gracious accountability and discipline to one another. The goal is love, reconciliation, and repentance so the gospel is seen and God is honored. And here's the reality. If, if unrepentance continues... Sometimes it's best for the health of the church if the person moves on. That seems harsh, but that's, that's coming from Christ because he cares about the purity of his church. Let me be careful. I'm not saying you make mistakes. I'm saying you sin and you're like, I don't care. I do what I want. Then we will address it out of love for you and love for the rest of the community. That the atmosphere of sin would not destroy us but that we would seek to restore one another with love. So God, in verse 36, we see God severely deals with those who cause others to sin, who cause others to sin. Look at verse 36. So the men Moses sent to scout out the land and who returned and incited the entire community to complain about him by spreading a negative report about the land. Those men who spread the negative report about the land were struck down by the Lord. They ain't had it 40 years. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Do not mislead and abuse those whom the Lord values. This is the danger of, of, of false teaching, of teaching that does not align with the scriptures. The harm in the passage came from the scouts speaking contrary to what God's word said. That was the issue. They had a report, and it didn't agree with God's report. And because their report didn't agree with God's report, it caused damage in the community. 
Listen, we, we live in a world where we often hear reports that do not match God's word. We often hear assessments about situations that do not match God's word. We might hear something like, like, like biblical moral standard, standards are outdated. It's, it, it's outdated. We need, to, we need to do something. It sounds very similar to what the serpent said to Eve. Did God really say? Did he, did he say? Did he really say that? No, no, no. We have to be careful that the reports that we hear and that we believe is the same report from the text of the scriptures. And you can look at you can look at God and be like, man, he's so mean. And a lot of times we put this wedge between God, the father and Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says in Luke 17, two. It would be better for him if a mile, a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Translation, it would be better if that dude drowned than that he would cause those, those, those around me to stumble. It's a serious thing, and our words, our instructions, our reports about the world, they have to align with the scriptures or else we will be leading people astray, and the Lord will deal with us. He is not passive because he cares about his people about their health, about that, that, that they are hearing what is true. Now, y'all, this is, this is a pretty dark and negative passage, is it not? You're like, dog. But one of the jobs of the preacher is not only to encourage, but to warn. Yeah, that's one of the jobs. Now, when we think about this, this idea of, of consequences, I want to kind of parse out how does the gospel relate to this? See, Christ Jesus... He endured the ultimate consequences of sin in our place. The issue with the people is that they were grumbling and they didn't believe the commands of God. I don't know about you, but I have grumbled and I haven't believed what God commands at times. And remember, to, to, to grumble against God's commands is to grumble against God himself, right? God said, they are despising me. Listen, Romans 15, 3, it says, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So with our grumbling, with our looking at God's law, I don't know about all that, with all of the, the frustrations that, that we would seek life and health outside of him, those are actually insults to him. But Christ said the insults that we have directed to God by our lives have fallen on him on the cross. A lot of times people are like, I just wish God would come and speak to me. Y'all, what happened when that happened? Where did he end up? On the cross. When God came in the flesh, the attitude of people's hearts were revealed. And God ended up on the cross. Our grumbling and complaints towards God are displayed on the cross of Christ. Christ experienced the judgment of God on, our, on the cross for us. Christ died and rose again for our forgiveness. And here's the beauty of this, that we don't get the ultimate consequence. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, God sometimes allows the consequences of sin for our good. So let's parse that out. Look, God does not condemn his children but he does discipline. He doesn't condemn us, 
but he does discipline us. Hebrews 12, 9 says, furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. So if you are in Christ, it is very easy to look at negative circumstances in your life and go, man, God is mad at me. It's very easy to look at negative circumstances in your life and go, where is he at? But in reality, the scriptures say that his discipline is an evidence of his love and care for us. Listen, his disposition towards you is love. And because he loves you, sometimes he allows the consequences of your sin. And the parents said, amen, yeah? Right? Because you, like, I need to let them feel that. Not because you're like, forget you. No, because I love you. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to help you. Listen, listen. When we feel the consequences of our sin, it serves as a warning. Yeah? So, so the, the kid who wants to touch the stove, right? You're like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then they do it. And you're like, well, hopefully next time. Listen, when we feel the consequences of our sin, it's not, going, it's not God saying, I don't forgive you. It's like, let, let me let you taste that so that you can have a warning. So that you can think differently next time. God's discipline, him allowing us to feel some of the consequences of our sin, it's for uh, the sake of our purity, that our character would be changed. So God forgives us completely and wholly in Christ. But there are times that because of his love, he lets us feel the consequences of sin which is his discipline, so that we could look more like him. Now, 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 now what, what do we do with this? How can we take what we have heard and put it into action? One way is that we would understand the importance of speaking God's word to each other. Remember, the problem in the text was that the scouts reported words that were contrary to God's word. Yeah? That was, that was a major issue. See, we must be people who agree with God's word, who agree with his assessments. And not only that we agree, but that we would see each other and we would speak God's word. I understand that some of y'all think, well, speak, you know, somebody has the problem, you respond with a verse. You're like, well, does that really help? Yes, it does. It does. We need to be people who speak God's word to one another because God uses it to safeguard us. We must be people who speak both the law and the gospel, both the warnings and the promises from the scriptures. The reality is at times our hearts are callous to the Lord and we are tempted to ignore and rebel. We need someone to go, hey, listen, let me point out God's law to you. Let me point out that there are consequences to the way that you're behaving. Last week, me and Caleb were talking to some of the students in the after-school program, and, and they, they like to use words to hurt each other a lot. They, they, they are very, they're, they're, sometimes they're just saying all kinds of rude stuff to one another, and you can could, you could tell they're not even thinking about it. It just comes out of their mouth. So I was talking to one of them and said, look, brother, look, look, look. The way you speak, you're acting like a fool. Nah, I made him feel some kind of way. All right. But the way you speak, you are speaking like a fool. Proverbs 18, 6 says, A fool's lips lead to strife, and his mouth provokes a beating. A fool's mouth is his devastation, and his lips are a trap for his life. 
What am I doing there? I'm trying to warn him with the command and the law of God that, listen, if you keep going that way, it is not going to go well for you. And that's because of love. Listen, let's be people who warn each other with the truth of God's word. Not high-handed, not, not heavy-handed, but in love and grace. Sometimes our hearts are callous, but other times our hearts are weak and fragile, yeah? At that point, I need someone to tell me about the promises of God in Christ Jesus. I need someone to say all things work together for the good of those who love God and call according to his purpose. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, we need each other to be both guards and nurses. Let me, let me tell you what I'm saying. We must point out the dangers of this life with the Word of God. And we also must administer the life-giving promises of the gospel. That's how we be faithful to Christ. And that's how we serve one another, that we would speak words to each other that would agree with God's assessment. That's how he sanctifies us, how he changes us, how he lets us know his love, that we would speak his word to one another. So I would encourage you, if, you, if someone is speaking to you and a verse comes to your mind, say it. If, if someone's speaking to you and you're like, he's doing something stupid, I should probably say something, then say something. Because that is God's grace to us and to each other. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that, that we would have a full confidence that when you um, allow the consequences of our sin, that it is not because you dislike us but it is because you love us. And Lord, I pray that we would have faithful reports, that the words we speak to one another will line up with the scriptures. Lord, I ask that, that you would give us grace and the vision to see if we're walking a path that does not lead to life. And Lord, when we're down, when we're discouraged, when, when we are tempted to grumble, Lord, would you give us perspective? Would you show us your love and kindness? Would we remember the track record of your faithfulness? Lord, I pray for this church that we would be a people who with love and grace speak the words of God to each other. And that you would use that to help us be more like Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.